the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. You know, as we look at issues like um, sports, certainly this is a great pastime for us to kind of get a, a sense of enjoyment and escapism. But we've also come to understand that sports can teach us many valuable things, a teammanship, endurance, uh, certainly the sense of uh, personal success and performance. But we're also discovering at many levels that sports can also teach us some deeper, more enduring lessons. Joining me now. Now is Dr. David Cook, president of the Texas-based Peak Performance Firm, bridging the gap between sports and business performance. He is former director of Allied Sport and Performance Psychology at the University of Kansas and the author of the best-selling book, Golf's Sacred Journey, Seven Days at the Links of Utopia. Dr. Cook, great to have you on the program with us. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I appreciate it very much. This must be an exciting time for you as well, now seeing your book, Golf Sacred Journey, making the leap from uh, print to now the big screen with release across the country of Seven Days in Utopia. Tell us a bit about uh, the story here that is behind this film. Well, the story takes place in a little community in Texas called Utopia, and um, there's a really, I guess, minimalist, you call it a minimalist little golf course here, nine-hole golf course, is built around a cemetery, and uh, one day when I went out there and saw this beautiful cemetery next to this really pathetic driving range and golf course, I just felt the sense and the urging from the Lord to, 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 to look deeper, to notice some things, and I began to notice the significance of how profound the simple was. And I felt like the Lord just said, this is a place, write the book. And, you know, a day before that, I had no idea I had to be writing a book. So I went home, got my computer out, put my hands on it, and about eight hours later, they stopped. I just felt like there was a real download of a story. My background is in sports psychology, as, as, as you mentioned a minute ago. And so I was able to take my experience with this beautiful little spot in the world and create a story that was a different way for me to speak and to share the ideas that I've been given that I think will help people not only in performance but in life. And uh, what came out was this book. It was it was a pretty amazing experience and uh, incredible journey. Now, the story here is a story of Luke, uh, who I understand is a talented young golfer making his way along the pro tour uh, in, in, in some respects. I mean, there are certainly big figures that we know of, names that we're all familiar with in the world of pro golf today that might come to mind out of whose life at certain levels tends to kind of mirror some of this. But ironically, along, too, with that, uh, escaping some of the pressures of the game and uh, finds himself along the way stranded there in Utopia, Texas. What are some of the key lessons that you're hoping viewers uh, following the readers to your best-selling book, Golf's Sacred Journey, now with the new film, Seven Days in Utopia. What are some of the lessons that you're hoping they'll extract and walk away from beyond just a good time at the movies? Well, yeah, this is way more than just a good time at the movies. One of the things we try to teach, I really want to share some ideas about performance that I think will help people, but the main, main point there is that life is bigger than performance. It's way bigger than the scoreboard. 
and uh, many of us get knocked out of our game or taken out of our game by the scoreboard or by successes and failures and this young kid had a meltdown and he spent seven days with an older wiser gentleman that used other elements in the environment like fly fishing and flying an airplane and uh, painting and picture washing and things like this that drew him out of sort of out of the game of golf but taught him deep principles about how to play better and also how to live his life deeper and it culminates in the scene in the cemetery where he really challenges him about what's Epitaph going to say and what's you know why is he doing what he's doing changing the kid's life and then he re-enters the world of performance with a new attitude and a new heart and the end of the movie really gives us a picture of what performing as a Christian would look like what is it what is the purpose and how can God use that in our life? So it, it, uh, it's a full circle. You know, we, incre- we included the faith in there and, and also some teaching from the sports psychology. And even though there's a lot of golf there, it's, it's really more of a life story than just a golf movie for sure. Yeah, that certainly struck me in watching the trailer. I, I thought, you know, there's aspects of this that go beyond simple lessons that we can utilize, you know, whether it's on the golf course or on the field uh, that, that certainly are applicable toward performance in the arena of sports, but on the grander picture at a deeper level, lessons that I think uh, Dr. Cook are applicable to to what we do in life, given the fact that, you know, while the scoreboard might be one measurement of success on the field, there are other scoreboards, so to speak, that we use in life that, that sometimes as we're adding up the score might tend to be pretty discouraging. And so out of that, you draw a lot of very strong biblical principles to help lead people along the way. Absolutely. And um, they're, they're, it, the whole movie is built around biblical principles. And But it's not a heavy-handed movie. And, and in fact, I think that it's one that we prayed about deeply when we were making this that you can take your friends and family to. Um, and it's, a, it's an opening. And the movie is the beginning. There's, a, there's an opportunity at the very end of the movie for people to continue their journey that will lead them to another another option for their life. So this is unlike most movies. Uh, it's a beginning, not an end. And I think it was so well cast. I don't think we told our audience this yet, but Robert Duvall plays the the wise mentor in this movie, and he's uh, you know he's one of just about every, probably all your listeners one of at least in their top ten favorite actors of all time. He does a great job with this. And Melissa Leo just won a best supporting actress. She's also in there, um, and Lucas Black, who is a real player, a very good golfer, is in our movie. He was. Uh, and Sling Blade and Friday Night Lights and is is authentic. So it's the most authentic golf movie, even though I'm telling you it's not just a golf movie. It, everything's authentic about this movie and real. You can feel the you know, you can feel this community of utopia and you can feel the experience as you watch this. And Duvall, of course, no stranger to um, spiritually based or, or thematic films, has performed in other uh, films that have that same kind of feeling to them or genre about them. Uh, and and what, what encourages me about a film, as you point out, of this sort, and that is that it's not just a beginning, a middle, and an end, uh, but as you leave the film, as you walk out of the theater, I think many viewers, as much as they would be after having read the book, Golf's Sacred Journey, walk away with a sense of, of the opportunity to get fresh beginnings. Uh, to move past some of the, the maybe bad choices we've made in the past and find new life, new direction moving forward into the future. Yeah, they, they have an opportunity to, to leave this movie and begin all over. Or, as we say in the movie, the uh, young man buries some old lies that he was living by, like his score, was his identity was based on his score, um, that... Uh, um, 
how we played uh, told everybody about who he was as a person. And I think all of us get caught up in that, you know, sort of kind of that the 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 arena of being judged by others according to what we do. And so this is a there's a real there's a real moment in this movie where he gets it and and du, and Duval delivers it so well um, to get him sort of out of the game of the world and into the game that God called us to. Yeah, that, that whole idea of success in life, uh, not always measured of a man by uh, you know how much money you make or how good your golf score might be, uh, manners and, and fashions in which normally the world measures success, but rather a measure of the man is, is much deeper than that. It sure is. And, you know, that's the that's message. That, you know, the, the, I guess the main message of this movie is that most people are looking for more in their life. They're, they're, they're searching for something, the meaning that's got to be deeper than, you know, what they see around them. And the answer to that more is in this movie. And uh, I, I think that's a universal question. What, what else is there? You know, there's got to be more. Uh, it, it goes beyond just a typical couple of hours in a movie theater escapism. Uh, it, it walks away. You walk away, I think, with a sense of being encouraged uh, and can be a, a wonderful tool for reaching people that are struggling. And I think, uh, Dr. Cook, in light of what's going on in the world around us today, we know a lot of folks that are struggling, uh, challenges at work or economic problems, uh, layoffs, all of these things. And people are looking to go deeper and higher and, and find more significant meaning in life where they can measure their success beyond just what they've done in the world of sports or business. And finally, Dr. Cook, the book I would imagine available through Amazon.com if folks would like to pick up a copy. They can. It's also available at linksofutopia.com, linksofutopia.com. And we have so many uh, interesting things on that site for people uh, like me walking around in Utopia and sort of showing people around. Go to that site. That's a, that's a good one to, to, to begin the engagement. Com. Linksofutopia.com. Dr. David Cook, thanks so much for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Ask many people over the age of 55 or more and they'll tell you, as they grow older, they mostly fear one thing. More than ill health, money problems, more than a changing world. They fear being alone. Divorce and death can be unsettling, certainly life-altering. But the fear of being alone cripples so many at a time in life that can be and should be rich, rewarding, and giving. So what's the alternative to feeling lost and alone at that point in life? Joining me today in studio from Menlo Park Presbyterian Church and part of their Singles Together ministry is Dr. Margot Gregg. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice and a member of the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists and also involved with our friends over at Christian Counseling Centers. And joining Dr. Gregg tonight in studio is Carol Johnson. Together, they co-lead New Life Singles Together at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, and welcome to both of you. Thank you. Dr. Greg, let me start first with you. Boy, this is a time in life when you, you finally get the point where you've done your time, you've raised your kids, you've done your working and earning, and now here's the time to sort of enjoy the golden years. And suddenly, a life-changing event happens. For some people, it's divorce. For others, it's death. Suddenly, you find yourself out of sorts, you're not comfortable in the, the dating world. Many people doesn't, don't even know what that looks like if they've enjoyed 10, 20, 30 years or more of marriage. 
And sadly and unfortunately, there's even an awkwardness for many of these people in the church because they're either surrounded by young families in which they they either feel jealous of or or uncomfortable with or don't seem to quite fit in. They know certainly they're not going to join the dating scene again. So what is a person to do? Well, I think the key to life really is coping, um, learning to live in reality, creating the life that you want, um, finding activities that are uh, that are meaningful to you, um, finding a community in which you can belong, finding ways to um, to enhance your life and have things to look forward to. Connection. Maybe is the important uh-huh. word here. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Staying Absolutely. connected and, and getting connected. And, and, and Carol, that connection doesn't always come easily. I mean, a lot of people, when they go through a devastating loss in life, for example, mm-hmm. and it's loss, whether it's divorce or death, it's still a loss, um, tend to kind of hanker down and become kind of cocoon-like. Their heart's been wounded. There's this huge gap now. Uh, particularly for married individuals who say, my goodness, after all these years, my husband, my wife of all these years is now gone. And, and I don't know how even how to change my language from we to me. That's right. And mm-hmm. so maybe sometimes kind of hunkering down and, and cocooning in, as I say, is a natural, almost protective Reaction And yet that sense of isolation that it can bring can be very devastating, can't it? Can be very devastating and produce some horrible depression. I'm just going back. I wasn't so old when I lost my husband, but I've been in the singles world basically for about 34 years because he died very young. I do remember what happened when I went to church, though. And I remember being with another widow who had lost her husband two weeks before in a different church. And she called me me one day, maybe my husband had been down, dead about six weeks, and she said, do you feel invisible in your church? I think this is true for older mm-hmm. people, too. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, nobody knows what to say to me anymore, so they just ignore me. And then I started noticing people didn't know what to do, so they just kind of treat you like a piece of furniture. And I'd forgotten about that till you just talked about that, about how hard that was. And then trying to find a place in the church as a single person, after you say, I had been in what we call, we used to call neighborhood groups in our church, and my husband and I were in charge of one of those. Suddenly, I was the only single person, and that didn't last too long. So... Um, I remember going to my uh, own pastor then and asking about, uh, uh, do we have a singles group for somebody like that? I ended up in another church that had a big singles group. And the irony is a lot of times when a singles group does exist, it's singles as in high school age, college age. That's correct. And, you know, hey, do you want to go, you know, play the water rides at Great America? Probably not at the age of 35 (laughs) or 40 or or older. Oh, you might, you might, but... But that was beside the point. They just didn't seem to have a and, and I went and I went to one group that was a uh, out of my church, but in a lot of other churches in another town. I said, "Oh, they have one." And I remember going, "I'm a widow. I'm grieving my husband." And I sat next to some woman who was divorced and complaining about her ex and on and on and I thought I remember coming out of there and I said to my friend, that wasn't much fun to go and listen to other people's stuff when you're hurting. So it wasn't until many years later 
10 years before I found another singles group that was over the age of 40. Now that looks real young to me, but in those days... That was an older singles group. Dr. Greg, I'm curious. There's this sense of awkwardness. Uh, you know, I think uh, Carol touched on it, that not only once you have gone through that loss, again, divorce or, or death, whatever it might be, you're trying to fit in again. You're used to always going to events as couples, and all of a sudden now you get invited to the same groups, and you feel like a third wheel. Um, everybody's paired off That's but right. you, and you feel awkward. They feel awkward. So suddenly they stop inviting you. They don't want to embarrass you and so it's almost as if there's this awkwardness from both sides both the individual who's now dealing with this change of life this loss as well as the old network of friends I was super involved in a church uh, with my husband. We were both elders, uh, served uh, several terms. But once when he died, it was like I did not fit anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I, I did, in fact, change churches um, and was invited to Menlo Park Press where, uh, by, because I knew the um, singles pastor. And so that's what took me there. But the loss that you feel... When you had this life that was going in a certain direction and all of a sudden, boom, it's snatched from you. And now you have to figure out uh, how, how, to use your, how to use your time, how to, who, who to associate with. And you don't, you don't have the activities to look forward to that you once had. You don't have the, the, um, the, the things that gave you meaning are, are different because uh, the network is not there in the way that it once was. Things that give you meaning. I, I want to mm-hmm. kind of zero in on that for a moment because, you know, we, we, we hear about things like the purpose-filled life. We all want right. a sense of Rick satisfaction Warren. out of our careers, out of our marriages, raising our children. Mm-hmm. We oftentimes get such a sense of identity yes. out of what we do. And I think certainly today with so many women that are involved in the working world, it used to be just the men. They would retire and a couple of years after retired, either the wife kicked them out of the house and they got a divorce because she didn't. <laughs> didn't want to be around him anymore, (laughs) or the man just seemed to flounder because all of his identity was wrapped up in what he did in the working world. And so even as women deal with that now, there's that sense of, of, I've lost my state of being almost. Yeah. You know, uh, when I was a freshman in college, which was a few years ago, I I was exposed to a book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. And the book is about logotherapy, about um, being in a concentration camp and finding meaning every single day in that setting. Mm And that's probably as big a stretch as one would ever have to make, is trying to find meeting in that kind of adversity. That certainly is on the extreme, but I think indicative of the notion that it really is incumbent upon the individual to be proactive about this, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, if you've lost someone through death, we know in the early days that there's going to be, you know, a gathering of friends and family, and they're taking you casseroles to eat and offering to take you shopping do you need anything and then three or four weeks after the memorial service is behind you they've suddenly forgotten your telephone number and if you just sit and stare at the phone waiting for someone to call it may be eons before that phone rings you really need to be proactive then in a sense exactly to get out and say how do i find a redefined meaning and purpose in life 
You know, Scott Peck talks about um, the fact that uh, in his book, The Road Less Traveled, the first sentence is, life is difficult. And his premise is, if you accept the fact that life is difficult, then you do something about it and you start trying to make mm-hmm. your life happen because it's hard for everybody, even though it doesn't look that way. Mm-hmm. And I directed a program at hospice for almost 20 years. And what we used to talk about is... There are many reasons that people grieve differently, um, but the biggest determinant of all of how people function with a, through a disasters is their own personality. So you can have somebody can have a whole bunch of stuff happen to them, and they're resilient. And who knows how that happens? But um, it's true that you um, there's so many things to deal with as you're going through grieving. A lot of it certainly is perspective. Yes, I would think from a Christian standpoint, from a lot a of it too would right. be your relationship with the Lord. Yes, how plugged absolutely. in you are mm-hmm. in terms of prayer and Bible study and getting a sense of of being and satisfaction in your identity in the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, certainly all struggle. The reality is we lose a spouse through death or divorce. There is a change in identity. Mm-hmm. Um, if we reach retirement age and we find ourselves suddenly alone, there's the change in identity in that arena as well. Mm-hmm. But foundational to all of us from a Christian perspective ought to be our relationship with That's the Lord right. that can serve as sort of that springboard, if you will, um, into finding a, a, a new sense, a new direction, and a renewed sense of of purpose and meaning in life. Let's pause on that point. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Dr. Margot Gregg with us in studio today, along with Carol Johnson. They're with New Life Singles Together Ministry Group at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. A brief time out back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Joining me today in studio, Dr. Margot Gregg. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and is a member of the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists and affiliated with uh, Christian Counseling Centers. She, along with Carol Johnson, co-lead New Life Singles Together Ministry Group at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And we've been talking about some of the dramatic changes in life that can happen, well, as you mentioned, Carol, young in life. You were barely in your 40s when your husband past, the big change that happens there, and then particularly, too, for those that are in their senior years. Suddenly now, well, you're no longer working. You have had a loss through death or divorce. Maybe the family, the kids are far away. The grandkids are in another state or the other half of the country. And so now all of a sudden there's this sense of my usefulness is behind me. Mm-hmm. The phone is not ringing. My grandkids are no longer nearby. I'm no longer involved in the workforce. And so much of my identity was wrapped up in either my job or my spouse. And now I really don't know even who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest uh, uh, problems that we have is, is maintaining um, a sense of reality as we go along in life and maintain and living with w- the way things really are and making our life happen and having an attitude uh, which is positive not negative and um, it's that's very hard to do it's very hard to do uh, for me my husband uh, died uh, when we were snorkeling in Hawaii um, when we were there to celebrate by being over chemotherapy for a second time uh, which was heavy stuff to deal with and and, uh, and he dies in Maui, and it's like, 
Lord, what is this? Uh, the scripture that came to my mind was that God has promised us he will not tempt us more than we're able to handle, but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. And I said, this is it, Lord. I'm at the top. I'm at my limit. And I think then realizing that God walks with us through all of the hard parts of life. And that really is good theology. I grew up with bad theology. <laughs> I grew up believing that if I was good, God would, would treat me well and everything would go along okay. But realizing that that's not really the gospel. Yeah, you the find gospel. out the rains on the just and the unjust. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and if, in fact, we accept the fact that God's promise is to be with us not that things will go well for us and not that things will go the way we script them, the way we want them, but that God walks with us through the hard, hard parts of life. And, you know, when that rain falls, we can either choose to, um, to drown mm-hmm. and not make any effort or we can learn how to dog paddle and how to survive. And again, a lot of this goes back to a matter of attitude That's right. and how, how willing you are to, to reach out and, and to kind of take charge, take control again of your own life. I'm struck that both of you, having gone through your experiences, both found that the churches at the time that you were attending were not adequately meeting no, their needs or not don't. prepared to meet the needs mm-hmm. of a older adult single that did not fit into the the young singles college and high school age group um, Mm -hmm. who had lost in both cases a husband and suddenly found themselves in kind of that third third person arena that that nobody seemed to know what to do with you, let alone the church Mm -hmm. in no man's land exactly. Mm -hmm. You don't fit with the couples anymore but you don't fit with the young singles Mm -hmm. and yet you've still got your whole life in front of you and, and you've got energy and life skills and so much to contribute mm-hmm. and yet suddenly you're in this no man's land you know one of the things when i was listening to Margot that has always helped me is that i do believe that everything that comes to us goes through the father's hand as it says in scripture therefore when these things happen i might not like them but I think, you know, God has allowed it, and we know that we have, in Psalms it talks about the fact that all the days of our lives are all written before we're ever here. So that has helped me. I lost a son last year, the same way his father went to a quick heart attack. And probably this last year has been the loneliest of my life. That sounds weird, but I am now alone, you see, in the house. I don't have children to take care of like I did with the first when my husband was died. And um, it's been that existential loneliness that people have that you just... It might be for a job. It could be for any kind of a loss. I, I have a business called Grief Loss and Transitions. I'm really a grief therapist. And... Um, People go through these kinds of feelings, and I don't know how they do it without the Lord, truly. Part of that sense of, of, of purpose, too, yes. that you're, you're touching on, I think, Carol, yeah. is, is the need to be needed. Yes. We have, we have a reason mm-hmm. to get up in the morning if we say, mm-hmm. but I have to do this because mm-hmm. my family depends upon my income cooking meals, caring for the house, whatever the case might be. Yes. Um, and, and suddenly when you're no longer needed, you don't have to be at the office. Nobody needs you at the mm-hmm. office because you're retired. Your husband is gone. Your children mm-hmm. are gone. You no longer have that sense of being needed. Do we have to kind of restart that then? 
um, so. particularly for older adults, and say, I need to get into a place where there is a reason for me to get up that in the morning. Correct. And if it's going and volunteering at a homeless shelter mm-hmm. or being a mentor to young children that need somebody to teach them how to live life, how to read a book, whatever the case might be, does that help to reset that sense of purposeness yeah. in life? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I, I, I think uh, one of the memories I have is after my husband died, and that was before I was 60, uh, so I was still, you know, uh, I'm, I still am working, but um, I was driving home, and I was kind of hurrying to get home, and all of a sudden it struck me. There's nobody at home. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to go home to. Mm-hmm. And it was so deep in me. Mm-hmm. The things I missed when Wally died were uh, many. But one I, was him making coffee in the morning and bringing it to me. So you have to get a whole new routine That's right. that works mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. That it, So I said, okay, if I'm going to drink coffee, guess who's going to make it? Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that's basically what you have to do is just, uh, I, I never barbecued. Now I barbecue. You know, you do the things you have to to do to create a normal kind of a life for yourself. Is it important at this juncture, too, to be well-grounded or connected? And and I ask that question because I think of the vulnerability Mm -hmm. of some seniors. For example, we read these scandalous things on the internet about some senior who's been a pen pal with somebody in the Ukraine or wherever they might be and Mm -hmm. has siphoned $100,000 out of their savings because they thought they were carrying on a romantic interest with this individual that in fact was just simply preying on their vulnerability and I think why wasn't there anybody there in their life to intervene and say, wait a minute, what do you mean you're taking $50,000 out of your IRA to send it to somebody and you're going to wire it to what? Somebody you've never even met before? Right. So I, I wonder if this just sense of being connected and grounded yeah. with others, with a community, becomes particularly important because of the vulnerabilities. Well, that's exactly right. That's why community is so very, very important, mm-hmm. to have people that you can trust, people that you can do things with, people that that will love you. Now, and that's really what we have developed at at MPPC is a community, a family, an extended family really is what it amounts to. You mentioned earlier M. Scott Peck. I'm reminded of some of his writings in that book, The Road Less Travel, that this sense of community is not something that necessarily happens by accident. It needs to, it needs to no, be built, doesn't it? Right. We need to be purposeful. Intentional, very and intentional. intentional. Mm-hmm. And intentional. And when we're younger, we meet, we fall in love, we have a family. That kind of creates automatic community. Mm-hmm. Now we're at a point in life where we might get married again, but likely not. We're certainly not going to have any more children. And so mm-hmm. where do we go to create that intentional community? And certainly church is an important place to do it and and I would imagine if you're in a church that doesn't have a ministry that specifically addresses some of the unique needs and challenges of older singles then two pieces of advice start one or go out and find a church that does have one yeah and that's been I mean we drive I drive 45 minutes a Sunday people say why do you do that because it was the only game in the whole area Mm. that I could find where I knew I already had had that community earlier and it collapsed in another church and nobody has it is the church missing out on something here I mean I think about the baby boomer generation oh we've been fighting about this for a long time wow I mean that that brain of America 
generation is single in the Bay Area. And you think about the baby boomer generation, those of us born between 1945 mm-hmm. um, or 46 and 1964, 80 million of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're eventually all going to be you know, right. facing these same challenges. And I'm just wondering if the church should wake up and say, wow, talk about a dynamic, incredible, unbelievable mission field here. You're, pre- you're preaching to the choir here yep, Craig, because we have been fighting this battle, trying to to help see the importance of providing a meaningful uh, um, a setting for um, singles. And it's a hard thing to keep going because people don't see the value. And they, yet we have Vacation Bible School and Young exactly. Life. And we have right. all of these. And I'm not knocking any of those programs. No, I, you know, I think Awanas and all of those are, are wonderful, important, viable ministries for young people and young families. And yet to recognize the need to, to not only minister to the needs of the older single community, mm-hmm. but also recognize... We as the church, we're sitting on a gold mine exactly. of that's knowledge been, and right. experience. I mean, we look at so many stories about these wayward kids that are born to single-parent families, and the father has never been around at all. Mm-hmm. The young man or young girl has nobody to mentor them about the things of life. What an opportunity it could be to be able to plug together mm-hmm. the older, experienced adult with the younger person who needs life experience and exactly. knowledge and understanding, and here you have a person that's just a gold mine of all of that. Wow. You want to give the older person such meaning. Absolutely. We're going to pause on that point, come back to more of our conversation as we're visiting today in studio with Dr. Margot Gregg, and also with us is a marriage family counselor, Carol Johnson, together New Life Singles, together group leaders at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. A brief timeout. Back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation as we're talking about, well, not just growing older gracefully, but what does it mean to be over 40 and single? And how do you go about getting that sense of meaning and purpose again in life and not only in terms of of, of having that sense of, of usefulness that continues as opposed to feeling like it's been outlived um, recognizing too that while your identity might have been wrapped up in your working world or in your spouse now that all of that has changed um, you can find your identity most importantly in Christ Jesus and I guess right. at the core that really is the message here isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. It is. I want to say, though, that having a group like we have at MPPC is is so amazing for people because you are right. People do not remarry. Seventy percent of men are still married when they die. Only about 38 percent of women are. And when the older we get, the less chance that happens. So for me... This group has been so amazing because the men in the group become brothers. It's not like a we are older singles. I don't think there there are a few people that come in there looking for somebody. But for the most part, we are like brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's really wonderful. I cannot tell you, I broke my hip a few years ago in class, and the kinds of things that both the women and the men in that group did for me were amazing. And last year when my son died, they 
they did all the food at the funeral and all of that stuff. And it was so amazing to have this army of wonderful Christian brothers and sisters supporting me. And people need that. They come in so lonely and broken and shy. And Margo is wonderful about being very inclusive. And I try to do that, too, so that when people come in, they feel like they're enveloped in, in Christ's love, but also in people who understand their situation. You used the word earlier, Dr. Greg, um, intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my, my memories go back to my, my grandmother, um, who passed at the age of 93 after a, just a brief three-day hospital stay. Um, she went to senior citizens twice a week, mm-hmm. walked to church every Sunday, read the newspaper cover to cover every single day, was up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and went to bed after the 11 o'clock news was over with every night, uh, still entertained in her home and would have the gang, as she would call them, over to play Pinochle or, or Canasta at the house <laughs> once a month. Um, she stayed plugged in and active. Kids all grown, uh-huh. had retired from a 35-year career at Seas Candies. She used to say it was the sweetest job in the world. <laughs> and yet, I was struck by the fact that she remained active. She uh-huh. was involved in the Sons of Italy and with various uh-huh. other charitable organizations and, and served as a judge at the local polling place um, for many, many years so that every election she was there. And uh, we used to joke, I'd show up and she'd say, my grandson's coming now to cancel my vote. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that sense of remaining plugged in, even though she had been divorced from my grandfather for many, many years. She lived a full, active, vibrant life. And I'll never forget the day she was admitted to the hospital, her arguing with the, the, um, the entrance nurse. And saying, well, you know, you have to stay for some tests. And she kind of begrudgingly agreed to do so and then turned to the nurse and said, but make clear of this. I will stay only tonight because I'm not missing two days of senior citizens in a row. That sense of the the value of importance of being plugged in with community, intentional living is what struck me Mm -hmm. about what made her life so full, literally up to the very end. Yeah, and my mother died at 94 and had that same thing. We all would go home and we would all be together and there was always a family that kept her going. And so there was all these things that she had to give to us. So that's what kept her alive. And she, too, was involved in church and and uh, sewing for people uh, to be sent with mis- to missionaries, doing all kinds of things mm-hmm. that gave her meaning. Mm-hmm. In the few moments that remain in our conversation today, I-, I want each of you to take a couple of minutes, if you would, from your own life experience and for the benefit of those eavesdropping on our conversation right now that are today where you were. Maybe it's a sudden loss because of death, maybe divorce. And now they find themselves older, mm-hmm. single, alone, not feeling like they fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, share some of your, your insights and advice. And let me start first with Dr. Margo Gregg. Well, I, I, I've been thinking about a scripture, which is Second Corinthians 16 through 18, which is, um, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. I like Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that will outweigh all of the struggles. 
So fix your eyes not upon what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the Phillips translation, uh, which I I was on the Young Life staff at one point in my life, um, and the Phillips translation says we are knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Mm. And I love that because I think that things knock us down, Mm -hmm. but we can't let ourselves be knocked out. We have to somehow... Um, keep a balance in our lives that are that give us meaning, that give us purpose, that give us uh, significance, and help us stay fixed on uh, Jesus and on the, the the healthiness that He offers to us through our choosing to be more Christ-like until we take our last breath, until that's what the whole finish well concept is about, that as long as we're on the earth, we need to be be reframing what's happening to us. We need to be processing what's happening. We need to be communicating with each other in healthy, godly ways. That image of Paul speaking of fighting the good fight, exactly. running the good race. You know, nobody feels sympathetic for the guy who just decides, you know, a mile away from the finish line line just to plop down and say, you know, ah, this is too much effort. <laughs> you know, exactly. I, I'll meet you back at the clubhouse. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. No. In fact, the one that gets the accolades is the one who finishes the race. This is about finishing well, finishing not only with a sense of of purpose, but that purpose leading to fulfillment. And at the exactly. end of the day, that's what this is really about, isn't it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're going to think about our accomplishments and, you know, he was great at his job and all the accolades that we've heard at every funeral we've ever been to. And yet at the end of the day, the big question is, how much of a difference did my life on earth make toward others and ultimately toward the kingdom? And I think this is funny because I think I've got the same verse that I wanted to finish with, but a different version, the message. Mm -hmm. So let me read that, if I may, from 2 Corinthians 4. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see will last forever. You mentioned an important word in that passage that I think should be highlighted, bold, underscored, put in red for all of us. And that is, for those listening, to say, yeah, but Dr. Gregg, you're a licensed counselor. You, <laughs> you have all the skills available sure. to you. Carol, same thing. You know about all this. Me, little old me, how can I be expected to get through all of this? And there's one word that comes to mind. Grace. Mm-hmm. That he gives us the grace mm-hmm. to make it through. That you can lean on him and he will make it through. If you purpose in your heart to put your trust in him. Mm-hmm. And as we began the dialogue today, maybe your church doesn't offer an older singles group. Start one. Mm-hmm. And if you get all kinds of resistance and pushback... Pray and see that the Lord may maybe lead you to, to change your circumstances, but to live life with a sense of purpose and intention mm-hmm. and um, to change your perspective. When you've experienced a loss of perspective, 
change your perspective, get God's eye on the matter, Mm -hmm. and learn that it's not only possible to age well, but it's also possible to finish well. I'll mention, by the way, if you'd like to get more information about the Singles Together group that meets at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, uh, you can check them out on the web at singlestogether.org. It's easy to remember. singlestogether.org, part of the ministry there at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And I'd like to thank Dr. Margot Gregg for being with us and also um, Counselor Carol Johnson from uh, New Life Singles Together. Thank you both for the time and the, the education. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.